Thanks for joining us. Today, Pastor Michael Heim will share with us a challenging and encouraging message from the Word of God. It is our prayer as you listen to this message that it will draw you closer in your walk with God and give you strength to walk daily in His grace. Luke chapter 21, verse 25 through 27, as we continue on in our series called Stand Firm. We have it on the screen here if you didn't bring your Bibles with you this morning. It says, There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and the stars. On earth the nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. Last Thursday I went over to Louisiana to visit Miss Molly Goss, along with uh, Joe and, and Betty. And we were visiting her, and we went, we went, when we went into her room, you know, here's a lady that just had knee surgery, knee replacement surgery. Uh, they just took her whole knee out, put another whole knee in there, and when we walked in, she's just like, she's just normal. Wasn't any pain, her color looked good, she was sitting up, she was snacking on some things, and it was just going great. And Betty said something to me, she said that, that she had a nerve block, she had what they call conscious sedation. And I thought to myself, wow, that's pretty amazing that someone can just block the pain in, the, in, a, in a nerve, and then they can just take out any part of the body and... But it's conscious sedation. She's not fully asleep, but she's not fully awake. And that's an interesting term that I thought would apply to the beginning of my message this morning. Conscious sedation. I believe as we're approaching the end times and we're seeing these signs left and right, I believe the church and a lot of Christians are under conscious sedation. They are alive, but they're not really aware of what's going on in this world. We live in what I've been talking about in this series called Stand Firm, in this little bubble that my life exists of just waking up, going to work, going home, and that's about it, and not really looking at the signs of the times and looking out any further than that. And I'm hoping this message this morning is going to give you a little bit of some prophetical chewing gum, I call it. Something that you can chew on, and something's going to wake you up. Something's going to wake the church up and make you at least start thinking a little bit more about the future. Jesus tells us here in Luke chapter 21, and the main thing that I want to talk about this morning is verse 25, just the very first sentence. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay, I just want to focus on that because that's enough in itself. So there, before his return, he said that there's going to be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And even a thousands of years before Jesus even said these words, the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 verse 31 said, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So the sun's going to be dark, turned dark. The moon's going to turn to blood before this coming great dreadful day of the Lord's wrath upon the earth. Let me ask us all a question. When we hear messages like I've been preaching on Stand Firm, Talking about in September, we could possibly have a, an economic collapse between September and the end of this year like America has never known. We had one back in 2008. Seven years prior to that, we had one in 2001. Prior to that, seven years. Prior to that, seven years. Prior to that one, seven years. And each one that we've had every seven years has been progressively worse every single time. 
Now, what's eight years, seven years past 2008? That's 2015. Every single collapse has happened in September to October, every single one of them. And here we are approaching another seven-year cycle, and somewhere between September and October, the end of October, we're looking at a possible economic collapse in America. When you hear that, does that alarm you? Does that get you woke up? Do you begin to pay attention, or do you just say, well, you know, that, 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 that might happen, it might not happen. Do you become indifferent to that? I wonder if the people of Greece are saying, oh, that's not going to happen. What ha- is happening to Greece is a picture of what could happen in America. People can't get their money. People standing in line. Social unrest. The second message I preached about this series about social unrest, social breakdown. If, if, let's pray I'm wrong. I hope and pray that I'm wrong, that in September none of this happens. I I hope and pray that it doesn't. But if it does, and you go to the ATM to get money out, and you can't get money out, or you go to the bank and the bank is closed, how do you think you're going to react? Are you going to be okay? Do you have enough money to live on? How are we going to buy groceries? How are we going to pay our bills? Social unrest is what's going to happen if a financial markets break down. We talked last week about how America is no longer... A, 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 a nation of, of freedoms. It seems like it's becoming more of a, a nanny state that's moving into a totalitarian state to where they want to govern every part of our life and tell us what we can and cannot do. When you hear these types of messages and you hear like today talking about the cosmic signs of the sun, the moon, the stars, I'm going to bring out some stuff that's going to blow your mind this morning. Do you just say that's, oh, they've been saying that for 2,000 years and you're not really paying attention? That's what I call conscious sedation. You're awake, but you're really not paying attention. Or do you say, oh my goodness, I've never looked at that. I never thought about it that way. And it all points there biblically and financially. And the patterns are all there. And and, and even the, the signs are in the skies. I need to be watching. I need to be getting ready. See, Paul told the church at Rome... He said in Romans 13, verse 11, And do this, understanding the present time. This was nearly 2,000 years ago. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Wake up from your slumber. You know what slumber is, don't you? Slumber is when you're half awake, half asleep. Conscious sedation is what it is. See, I believe the church, if you were here Wednesday night, I I shared a little bit of this uh, to to our, our, our group. In Matthew chapter 25, I have this scripture. I want to read it to you. I believe the church is like the ten virgins. And Jesus used this as an example of his coming. Something to point out right here is that there were five wise virgins and there were five foolish virgins. The wise and the foolish were all watching. They were all waiting. But only the wise got to go in because why? Because they were prepared. They were ready. They saw, they knew he was coming. They didn't know when he was going to come, but they had prepared themselves with an oil, a lamp full of oil, an extra jar full of oil, and they were ready. The other ones just brought their lamp, but they were waiting and they were watching too, and they all fell asleep. And when the bridegroom, the call came out, only five were ready. So if we use this analogy and we place that over to the church today, Could we say that 50% of the church is sleeping in its slumber, unaware of the coming of the Lord? We could say that. We could at least make that application. And what did Jesus say? Keep watch. Keep watch. Does keep watch mean that I just know it's going to happen and that's it? If I told you this week, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to rob you, 
This week, how many of you would just watch TV and not pay any attention? Or would you stay up and you watch and you wait until I got there? And then you would shoot me, you know? You would watch and you wait. So the difference between the foolish virgins and, and the wise virgins were readiness, preparedness. Now, I know that most of us, if not all of us in here this morning, believe in Jesus Christ and believe that one day he will come again. And I believe we're all watching and to some degree we're all waiting for that return. But the question is, have you filled your lamp? Have you taken extra oil? Are you ready when the call comes out? See, we need to really contemplate that question there. See, the issue for the ten virgins, as well as us this morning, is not about knowing the day or the hour. It's about being ready. It's about hearing the word of God and getting stirred in our spirits to the point that we're beginning to pre- prepare ourselves financially, socially, spiritually. We're getting ready. We're getting stuff in order for the return of the Lord. So are we being wise or are we being foolish? So this morning I want to talk to you about Standing firm and getting ready in the midst of seeing cosmic signs. This is the next thing that Jesus is speaking about. Preceding his, his return. Now let me share with you about some cosmic signs. I'm not going to look at the natural disasters today. But I just want to look at the cosmic signs. What I'm about to present to you is very eye-opening. All that I'm trying to get you to do is to get you to wake up a little bit and to consider it. That's all I'm trying to get you to do. To get ready. And I'm hoping it strikes you as it strikes me. And you're going to say something like this. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. I'm hoping I'm going to get that remark, that that action out of you. So let's talk about that. Jesus told us in verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And then later on he says, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. In other words, before he comes, we need to begin to look up. We don't know the day, we don't know the hour uh, that He's coming, but we shouldn't try to discern and put a time on the day and the hour. But Jesus did teach us to uh, interpret the signs, to look that the signs are going to give us an evidence about when it's going to happen. If you don't believe me, look what Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 and 3 said. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning today will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He is rebuking these people saying, you know how to interpret physical stuff, but how come you can't interpret spiritual things? Maybe it's because we're slumbering. See, the Bible says in the book of Amos, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, that the Lord does nothing without revealing His plans to His servants. Think about that for a second. God may not let us know his plans by dates and times, but he does let us know his plans by signs and giving us time frames that we can look at. But there are times in the scripture. Did you know when Jesus Christ came the first time that he told us prior to his coming exactly when he's coming? Did you know that? In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, notice this. He says, Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and for the holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And watch this. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out for the Jews to return and to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be built, rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. 
Seven sevens and 62 sevens. By the time that the call went out to the Jews to return, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem in the days of Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls until Jesus Christ is cut off. If you go on and read that, it talks about the Messiah would be cut off. And you add up seven sevens, which is seven times seven. That's seven seven-year periods. That's 49 years. 62 sevens, 434 years. Add up 69 times seven. That's 483 years. By the time that Jews started rebuilding the walls to Jesus Christ was crucified, guess how many years it happened? 483 years. And so it didn't give us the exact day Jesus was born, but it gave us a time frame that he was going to come in, a time frame exactly when he was going to be crucified. God does work that way in Scripture. He did this in the book of Daniel, which was five centuries before Jesus' first coming. Now, what I want us to focus in on this, and this is where it gets kind of interesting here, is part of the debate centers on the meaning of seven sevens. Why did, why did God inspire Daniel to write it that way? Seven sevens and 62 sevens. Why didn't he just say uh, 70 sevens would be decreed and 69 of them have been fulfilled, but there's one seven-year period left. We call that the seven years of tribulation. That hasn't happened yet. Why didn't he just say 69 seven-year periods? Why did he say seven sevens and 62 sevens? It's interesting. I don't think anything in the Bible is by accident. A lot of people look at this 49 years as seven sevens. It took just to rebuild Jerusalem. That's what most scholars say that it is, but we're not certain about that. Isaac Newton, who was one of the greatest uh, scientific minds of our, of our uh, history, was also an astute Bible scholar. And he looked at this passage of Scripture, and he understood that the seven sevens pointed to the time of the Messiah's coming. These seven sevens here, he said, must relate to the Messiah's second coming. Newton said this right here. He said, the former part of this prophecy is related to the first coming of Christ. This part, seven seven, seems to relate to his second coming. He went on to say that he recognized that the seven sevens denoted a jubilee period. You know, we talked about this. The Jews have all, I've always taught this. Any time that God has ever done anything, in the history of man, he's always done it in conjunction to one of the seven feasts of the Lord. It doesn't matter if you name any major event in the scripture, any one, it's tied to one of the seven feasts. God has always been a God of types, patterns, and shadows, and, and, and he's very organized, and he's a, very, he's a God like that. He, and he tells us these things. And notice that the seven, there's seven, six days, and there's a Sabbath day. There's six years, and then there's a Sabbath year. There's seven, uh, six Sabbath years, and then there's, a, there's the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. And so he denoted that seven sevens as 49 years embedded in this Hebrew calendar was representative of, of a Jubilee period. He said the seven sevens are, are the compass of the Jubilee and began and end with actions proper uh, for a Jubilee and, the, uh, uh, and of the highest nature for which a jubilee can be kept. See, a lot of Christians don't even understand what the year of jubilee is. And it's, it's a prophetic significance here is very important. You know, the book of Isaiah states that the year of jubilee will be linked to the coming of the day of the Lord. It will be linked to the coming of the vengeance of God, as Joel said that would be. So assuming now that, that Isaac Newton's interpretation of Daniel 9 is correct, the day of the Lord will begin exactly seven sevens, or one jubilee cycle, after the Jews returned to Jerusalem. Newton believed that was in reference to the future coming, not the, 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 his first coming. Now, if Newton is correct, now this is very interesting. This is where it gets good. 
So you're asking, how does that apply to me, Michael? I'm consciously sedated. That doesn't apply to me. But it does, or it could. How does it apply to my life? We believe that the last prophesied return to the Jews to Jerusalem, not to Israel, but to Jerusalem, occurred June 7th, 1967. Remember, they became a nation in 1948. After 2,500 years, the Jews were eradicated off the face of the earth. They were dispersed all over the place. Jews were trying, the, Hitler was trying to kill them, everything else. But in, in one hour, 1948, May 15th, Israel became a state. And then in June, they had the Six-Day War. How they won that war, till this day, no one knows how they won that war. But they won it in six days. But they returned to Jerusalem. That's what the Six-Day War was. They captured Jerusalem. The Jews got a chance to come back to the holy city, Jerusalem, not to Israel, but to Jerusalem, as the prophecy states. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. 1967. See, we believe in 1967 it was the year of Jubilee. If this correct, it's correct. What is... What is 50 years from 1967? Or 49 years in the 50th year would be the year of Jubilee. 2015. That's interesting, isn't it? And so the question is, is that could the the Lord return in, in 2015 if this is the year of Jubilee? Now, before I answer that, let me give you a couple more uh, things. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1, that every matter must be established, every truth must be established with a testimony of two or three witnesses to make it to be true. So let me give you three witnesses. Witnesses number one and two is what I want to call the great lights, or the Bible calls the great lights, the sun and the moon. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, And God said on the fourth day, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And notice that, what's in highlighted in yellow. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, days, and years. Why did God put the sun and the moon in the sky? It was not just to give light. It was also to mark times and seasons, but it was also to mark sacred times, days, and years. There's something about the sun and moon that we need to pay attention to. And Jesus said prior to His coming, there's going to be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. So we need to start looking up to the sun and the moon to see kind of in a time frame where we are according to his return. Now, what's very interesting is if 1967 was a year of Jubilee and 2015 is another year of Jubilee, 2015 to 2016, in 1967, guess what happened? There was four blood moons. Guess when the four blood moons happened in 1967? They happened on the feast days of the Lord. So if we go from 1967, so one end of the Jubilee, four blood moons and a solar eclipse, and we come 50 years later or 49 years later in proclaiming another year of Jubilee in 2015, guess what happened 2014 and 2015? Four blood moons and two solar eclipses. And guess what? They all happen on the feast days of the Lord. Do you think God maybe is saying, hey, wake up, look up. I'm giving you signs. You can interpret the signs uh, in your life, but can you interpret the signs of the times? Not only that, but when Israel became a nation in 1948, they had a fight for one year to get their country back. 
And so in the Passover in April 13th, 1949, was another blood moon. And look at this. Feast of Tabernacles in 1949 was a blood moon. The Passover, April 2nd, 1950, a blood moon. Solar, uh, solar eclipse, September 12th on the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles on the 26th. The same year that Israel entered to the land, there was four blood moons. The very year that Israel got their independence in one Jerusalem, four blood moons and a solar eclipse. This year is another four blood moons and two solar eclipses. The last time that happened is when Spain kicked the Jews out of the land in the 1400s. And it's not going to happen again for another, I forgot, 500 years. There will be sign in the sun and the moon and the stars. That's interesting, isn't it? The mathematical odds that that's going to occur is just amazing. Because it could happen on any day. But it just so happened to happen on the days of the Feast of the Lord. Divine days of the Lord. That's amazing. Another tidbit that's even more amazing than that is that sometimes we fail to consider these lunar and solar eclipses falling on Passover and tabernacles. This year, when it started in 2014, you have to understand a Jewish year starts September mid-September and runs to the next September. So it's like our January 1. 2015 started for us in January 1. 2015 started for the Jewish people in September of 2014 on our calendar. So we're in a Jewish year. We're in 2000, you know, almost to the end of the new year, fixing to start the new year, which comes uh, September 14th of this year. Okay? Now, in 2014 and 2015, how many, you answer this question, it's not rhetorical. How many times has there been a lunar and solar eclipses falling on Passover and tabernacles since the time Jesus came to the earth the first time? When he came to the earth the first time, up to this September, how many times do you think it's happened? Seven. And this will be the eighth one. That's interesting because we know that the biblical number seven is a seven. It means completion. So when seven is complete, then the eighth one comes up, and that's the year of Jubilee. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing here. There are seven church periods, and after the church age is over, comes into the eighth, eighth uh, dispensation, the millennial kingdom. So we can look at it that way. So I think God is telling us that we are in the time frame very close to His return, and He's giving us the signs. That's the first two witnesses, the sign of the sun, the sign of the moon. And if we interpret that as just coincidence, then we're probably consciously sedated. We need to at least entertain it and lay it over Scripture and say, well, wait a minute. There's got to be something here. Because every time these blood moons and solar eclipses happen, they happen on the feast days. That can't be coincidental. That has to be providential. And so here we get to the third witness. And the third and final witness is an odd, defying mathematical alignment that you won't believe. On June 7, 1967, when the Israel returned, the Jews returned to Israel to take Jerusalem. A Hebrew calendar, remember, it's not 365 days of the year. That's a solar calendar. They go by a lunar calendar, which is 360 days a year. So if you take 360... And it calculates out, and you divide that up to seven sevens, 49 times 360, you get exactly 17,640 days. Now, if you go from June 7th, 1967, and you time 17,640 days, it comes out to September 23rd, 2015. 
September 23rd, 2015 is the sixth feast of the Lord, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is the highest and the most holiest day that they believe Jesus will return on the Day of Atonement. And it happens, it's a, and that's the only time that a jubilee can be announced. Are you woke up yet? September 23rd, 2015. Is this all accidental? Is this coincidental? Or is it providential? Is God telling us something? But we're too asleep to pay attention. Now, September 23rd, 2015 is the Feast Day of Atonement. It's a time that only a jubilee can be declared. But did you notice that that Day of Atonement is sandwiched between the Feast Feast of Trumpets, where there's going to be a solar eclipse this year on the 14th of September, and the Feast of Tabernacles, where the fourth and final blood moon takes place on the 28th of September. That's just amazing to me. And when you factor in this convergence, everything that seems to be converging, the spiritual, the physical, the financial, is all happening in September. Every time the financial markets have collapsed. Now listen to me. Every time in America, all the way back to the Great Depression, you can do your research. I've done it. You can trust me or you do your own research. Every time, if you go back seven years, starting from 2008, every seven years, every time the financial collapse, it's happened right at Elul 29. What is Elul 29? It's a Hebrew month, which is our mid-September. And what is Elul 29 on the Jewish calendar? It's always been the seven sevens have come to completion. On the year of Jubilee, the Jewish people were to decree to wipe out the accounts, to wipe out the debts of everyone, and to start over a new slate, a new beginning for the Jewish people is what it was supposed to be. If the Jewish people wiped out the debts of the people that owed them money, God would come in and God would bless them. But if they would not wipe out the debts and they kept charging everybody and they didn't observe this this sabbatical year, God would bring a judgment against them. Could it be, we're so tightly tied in with Israel, could it be that America keeps, instead of, Letting the debt go, we just keep increasing the debt. We're now over $18 trillion, still going up every day. If we have another major financial crisis in September, how many trillions of dollars are we going to have to print to get out of this one? See, I personally believe that God has let our nation go. His grace is lifted. His grace is still there for anyone who will call out to it. All who will come, He will receive. But God has said, United States of America, you want me out of your courts, you want me out of your schools, you want me out of your government, you want me out of your life, you want to be a secular, hedonistic nation, you go live in your sin, but you will suffer the consequences of it. So you reap what you sow. And I believe God has given us over to shameful lust, as Romans 1.24 said. God has given us up to sexual immorality, as Romans 1.26 said. God has given us over to a reprobate mind, as Romans 1.28 said. Because we did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, and we suppress the truth. And God's bringing judgment to America. You can see it morally. It's a shame that we go into churches and we shoot people up. It's a shame that there is a pastor right now that is on the verge of being arrested because he will not perform a homosexual marriage. We're moving to the point, and that's next week's message, by the way, is stand firm in religious persecution. It's coming. The Christians are the number one on the watch list of the Homeland Department of Homeland Security. And of course we are. We love our God. We love our guns. You take away our freedoms and our monies, guess what we're going to do? We're going to rise up. 
and we're going to be the evil ones. All this is converging. A solar eclipse, the, the blood moons of the lunar eclipses, the financial collapse, the day of atonement, the feast of trumpets, the, the, the feast of tabernacles, the year of jubilee, all these things are converging in this September period as the new year of Jerusalem of Israel starts. Is this this coming of the great and dreadful day that Joel prophesied about in Joel 2.31? Is God speaking in signs of the sun, the moon, and the stars? I could go more about the other stuff that I'm just going to hold off because this is probably enough chewing gum to chew on for a while. So the question becomes then, is do we see it and do we believe it? Do we believe it? Am I ready for it? I'm not asking, do we believe that it's going to happen? I'm saying, do you believe it and are you getting ready for it? The five foolish virgins believed he was coming, but they weren't ready. They lived their life the way they wanted to live and they weren't prepared that when the day came, it was too late. They were shut out. Folks, when Jesus Christ comes, how many more signs do we need? How much more of society needs to break down before we see it, before we realize it? Oh my goodness, we are there. It's not thousands of years down in the book of Revelation. It's now. Paul spoke as as if it was in his present time. And that was 2,000 years ago. So let me go back to the book of Amos real quick. Notice these seven questions, the rhetorical questions. Hear this word, people of Israel. The word of the Lord has spoken against you. Against the whole family I brought you out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Answer that one. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? No. Does it growl in its den when it's caught nothing? No. Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when it's no bait there? No. Does a trap spring up from the ground if it's caught nothing? No. We move from no now to start moving to the rhetorical questions answered with yes. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do the people tremble? Yes. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Yes. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servant, the prophets. God is telling us, you may not know the day. You may not know the hour, but you know the time. You see it. I've I've put it in the scriptures. I've given you signs. Now you just have to choose whether you want to believe it or be consciously sedated. It's up to you. So do I believe September 23rd, 2015, the Lord is going to return to the earth? No, I don't believe he's coming on September 23rd, 2015 to the earth. But could he return for his church in the air? Yes. Yes. All the signs are leading up to the main sign, which is Jesus Christ coming in great power and glory, as he said in verse 28. I mean, verse 27. How much closer, if we're seeing the signs that precede his coming seven years from now or 14 years from now or whenever, and we're seeing them now, how much closer are we? Jesus Christ was born at Tabernacles. He was crucified on Passover. He was buried on Unleavened Bread, the second feast of the day of the Lord. He rose from the dead, the first fruits from the dead, the first fruits feast of the Lord. The Holy Spirit came on the feast of, Tab- uh, uh, of uh, Pentecost. Jesus Christ fulfilled every, the first four of the, uh, the spring feast. When he comes again, I believe the church is going to be raptured out of here on the day of trumpets. He's coming on the day of atonement. He's going to tabernacle upon the earth on the day of tabernacles. He's going to fulfill the three fall feet. That's the way God is. 
So don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to set a date for the Lord's return. I'm just simply trying to give you some information to make you prophetically chew on it and just contemplate the thought, could I be going home September 23rd or September 14th of this year? The signs point there. The evidence points there. But I'm not going to put God in a box because I don't know if our dates or the, his dates or there's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things there to think about. I'm just trying to get us to think to the point to wake up, to come out of this conscious sedation and begin to just really begin to do what Jesus taught us to do later on the passage. Look with me in Luke 21. Look at verse 34. He come to the point where he says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap for it will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. Notice what he said in verse 36. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and all that may be able to stand, that all may able to be, be able to stand before the Son of Man. I believe when we realize how close we are to the signs, okay, then I realize, then we will realize that, and begin to wake up and get busy doing what God's called us to do. Because the Bible says, let us be found doing what the Master has instructed us when he comes. So let me close this message up. Are you ready if Jesus was to return? The rapture can occur any moment. There's no signs for that to happen. Are you ready, though? Are you spiritually prepared to escape all that's about to happen on the face of the earth? Hell is fixing to break loose on earth like you've never seen it before. It's getting worse, and Jesus gave us the signs. We see it. We just don't want to choose to believe it. Are we being wise in the way we live and the way we prepare for the Lord's return? Are we living like these five foolish virgins? The church, let me encourage us to stand firm in the, in, the, in the shadow of economic collapse, to stand firm in the midst of social breakdown, to stand firm if our government becomes more of a totalitarian government, to stand firm when we see these cosmic signs that take place. It's not a time to get fearful. It's a time, as Jesus said, stand firm and you will win life. See, the only way to escape what's coming upon the face of the earth is to have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. He said that. We can choose to believe it or not to believe it. But he's also said all the other signs have come to pass, like he said, too. So I can believe and trust in his word. This book is truth. I gave my life to it when I was 22 years old and lived to his glory ever since then. Let's stand firm, church. Days are coming. It's a time to be watchful, prayerful, because our days are numbered. What did he say? When you see all these things, look up, for your redemption is drawing nigh. So are you ready? Are you wise? Are you foolish? We hope you have enjoyed Pastor Michael's challenge from the Word of God. If you have any questions about today's message, you can reach us at 903-759-4196 or write to us. We'd love to hear from you at 117 South White Oak Road, White Oak, Texas, 75693. For more information about Pastor Michael or White Oak Baptist Church, please visit us on the web at www.wobaptist.org. Come back and visit us again. Until then, God bless.